You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Before we get started, I had a hell of a thing happen this morning. When Kim from Lesbertarian and I started this podcast over four years ago, I mean, it was on a different stream and had a completely different lineup. We created a Facebook group to go along with it. In the last four years that we ran that Facebook group, we've grown friendships, had secret Santas with incredibly shitty unboxings, laughed at and mocked each other, and grew a real community in a virtual space. As of this morning, October 31st, literally the actual fourth anniversary of the group, Mark Zuckerberg and the other pieces of human garbage that run Facebook took us out. That group is no longer existent on the Facebook platform. So rest in peace, the original MLGA online group. But I'm going to keep it going. I think that there's some magic there that we still want to keep around. So if you want to join us and and join our fun, we're now moving over to Locals, which is where Michael Malice, Dave Rubin, and several others host their communities. And so if you go to makelibertygreatagain.locals.com, you can actually find where we're going to be hanging out, where we'll do Secret Santa and all of that. So, come join the Sanity on an actual free speech platform. And with that, on to the show. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again the best damn liberty podcast that you've never heard of. I'll be your guide as we peer into the ridiculous reality that is our society and our government. Let's get to it. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again. I'm your host, Cam Harless, and with me today is Jessica Green again, because apparently I can't get enough, and I only like having women on my show. <laughs> so, uh, this is the last episode that will come out before the election. So, first off, welcome back, Jessica. I know we just talked for an hour and a half before the record button. Yeah, we did. We we talked about all our good stuff, too. Oh, yeah. You guys missed it. (laughs) That is funny, because this is actually the last show before the election and the first show in like three weeks, because I get this weird COVID cyclical depression. Okay. Where it's not like deep, but it's like I, I lose all motivation. Okay. For a while. Yeah. And so like the last few weeks, I was just like, I don't want to talk to anyone. Yeah, I get that. And it's COVID related too. I get depression that's related to COVID. So that's actually completely relatable on my end, especially I think during May, the whole month of May is like a blur for me because I was just like, okay, we're just going to get through this. You just got to put your head down and power through. And, but I was so sad the whole time. It just seemed like the world was just a really dark place and i hear a lot of that language being repeated we're gonna have a dark winter and i'm like oh no Ugh. i'm not doing this anymore <laughs> well and it's like there's this it's not I, I haven't been out of work luckily i haven't had any big issues that the government has caused for me but it's like walking around Publix to get groceries and you see these people wearing masks, and it's so dystopian. Yeah. 
it goes against like everything you know as a human being like you don't see people smile like we're not chimps so when we smile it's not aggression so <laughs> it's like positive like i went to sam's club thankfully florida has uh taken away the enforcement from the cities like they can't throw you in jail or fine you for not wearing a mask that's good so that's great and so i went into sam's and i was just like you know i'm not even gonna put the thing around my my neck because i'll just bring a bandana in case someone asks me and i just like screw it i just didn't put it on at all and i walked around sam's no one said a word to me i saw an old lady who was probably 75 not wearing a mask and she gave me the biggest smile and i smiled back and i was like holy shit yeah why does that feel so good yeah and i realized kind of in that moment and i thanked her i was like thank you for not wearing a mask and she was like no thank you and it's it's amazing how when where we are right now there are no laws and so we can't be thrown into jail i mean of course they could probably use trespassing laws or something mm -hmm. but the amount of courage that is passed between two people who aren't wearing masks is just this weirdly incredible thing yeah. that I never thought I would ever experience. Like seeing someone's face, I never, in my life, I never would have thought, oh, wow, I, I'm so excited to see someone's face, some rando. I've noticed that a lot of the things that are being shut down are decisively the things that connect us as human beings. Because mm -hmm. everything from, you know, shopping, school, M all of our social music. events music, all of the, con yeah, exactly, concerts, uh, comedy shows, all of the things that we go to and enjoy strangers at, um, communicate, you know. Uh, bars. Bars, yeah. So how many, how many kids don't exist now because the drunken hookups that would have created <laughs> them did not occur is something that I'd like to hear about. Um, <laughs> you know, and so it, we're feeling really disconnected from one another and we're a social species. It's not just your family group you need to see the eyes of other people you need to see their smiles and their faces that connects you and lets you know yeah. things are okay um my yeah. husband was actually expressing this exact sentiment to me when he got home from work today he's like it's just so weird everyone's been wearing masks for months i don't see anyone's faces and i don't like it it's hard to have meetings like that you know, they're yeah. in research and development. Their whole shtick is that they have to communicate with one another and they're all behind these idiot paper masks while they're trying to yeah. do it. Well, and it's like, it, we talked about this earlier, actually, where um, I have been on, uh, like the first time I was on Nick uh, Pacone's show uh, back when it was Sounds Like Liberty, there was no video chat. Mm. And so I couldn't see him. He couldn't see me. At first he could see me, but I turned it off because it was way more uncomfortable for me to be seen but not be able to see than sure. it was just no one be able to see. But it was a good interview. We had a good time. But my brain needs the visual to function properly in a conversation. Yeah. Because I need to be able to establish that you are not my enemy. You are not against me. And so even though Nick and his wife, Lizzie, are just fantastic, there was this part of my brain the whole time that was like, I don't know this guy well enough. I don't know what he's going to, is he going to try to get me? Sure. Is he going to do a gotcha? I didn't know enough. And so it's the same thing with masks, I think. I think when I saw that old lady, I never would have thought she was my enemy. Well, actually, I probably would have now because there are a lot of people out there who will 
will call the police on you for not wearing a mask. Sure. But there was that moment where I was just like, and I think that that's what it is. It's that human connection and knowing, hey, we're in this together. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And masks don't do that. No, they don't. And so much of communication is in the eyes and in the face and in our expressions and body language. And I think that's kind of why Twitter is such a shit show is because when you're talking to people, you don't see their eyes and you don't hear their voice. And so there is, you know, some assumptions get thrown around based on what you take a text to mean. And there isn't that Mm -hmm. context of the voice to let you know, hey, this isn't an attack. I'm just, you know, I'm ribbing you a little bit. You know, we lose that element of communication and you see what it does to the culture of Twitter. So what does it do to people where you're separating them behind pieces of plastic and, and, and face masks so that they can't see each other's expressions? I think that it makes it's a recipe for things to get a little uglier in terms of our communication with strangers. And um, I too have had the experience. My husband and I were in a home Depot and we weren't wearing masks and I saw a guy see us and take his off. And I thought, wow. (laughs) And you actually, you had um, made that comment on Twitter on Tom Woods page that it's amazing how much courage is passed between maskless people. And I kind of thought, yeah, more courage is being passed than COVID. That's for damn sure. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that was that was a good that was a good tweet exchange. And I think what's interesting about Twitter and about the written medium is I hear a lot of people talk about social media, Twitter, or even like sarcasm in text. People are like, well, you know, it's hard to read this over text. And I'm like, yeah, but. I feel like one of my things has been always to have the same voice no matter where I'm speaking or how I'm speaking. Okay. Even if it's in writing. Like, if you read something I've written, I feel like nine out of ten times if you've spoken to me before, you know exactly how it sounds. So you don't have a public voice and a private voice like Hillary Clinton? No. Okay. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I mean I'll mean, i be a little bit harsher and I'll, I'll joke, but... I do that in real life. Yeah. (laughs) I was talking to my mom and my sister the other day and my mom, my, oh, my, my, my sister has her kids in public school and that's not something that I'm into, but, um, we had talked about, oh, well, you know, my sister moved closer to me a couple hours away and she was like, you need to come see me. And I was like, oh no, you can come see me. You know, the kid thing. Yeah. Siblings. No, no, you come see me, you know? And, uh, she was like, well, I can't go see you because if I left my kids with my husband, he'd forget to take them to school. And my mom goes, uh, Cam, you know, if, if if Kaylee left, would you forget to take your kids to school? And I don't know why my mom did this, why she set me up like this. But I, I replied, um, oh, no, I don't send them to school. I love my kids. <laughs> uh... And the fallout from that was... <laughs> burn burn on your sister so, oh it, well that's the thing my sister would have taken it so much better if my mom hadn't tried to like insert herself and <laughs> tell me to not be as harsh and i'm like no she knows i'm joking if yeah. she wanted my opinion she would have come to me she knows this we can joke yeah you know? yeah <laughs> but, but but yeah that that's kind of my thing is i think i've had even some more meaningful relationships over social media okay than some of the ones that i've had in person Hey, look, a puppy. That's my dog. (laughs) (laughs) But I think a lot of people give social media a lot of shit. Whereas 
social media is what you make it. Mm-hmm. Twitter is probably one of my favorite things. And it's I don't see it as a shithole in the same way other people do or a cesspool. Yes, it's a cesspool, but that's what's great about it. Right. And and I think if you're able to use the block button or the mute button or whatever and clean up your timeline to the point where you don't have to deal with people who are awful. Sure. It's such a better place. So I agree that the interactions with people who are friendly to you are fantastic. Like I have a great deal of fun on Twitter. It's generally interacting with people who aren't sort of in your inner circle. And um, if you don't do that, we unfortunately just sort of stay in our own camps. And although there is a lot of fighting that goes on, there are those odd moments where you really can't communicate with someone. And I would say these interactions are almost like one in a thousand. But that one in a thousand interaction is so worth it to me. Every frustrating desk pounding argument that I've had with cretins and idiots on Twitter um, (laughs) is made up for by that one odd person who I do communicate with. And that's completely worth it to me. And yeah, of course, like the relationships and the friendships are awesome, too. Oh, yeah. I have learned a lot from malice when it comes to Twitter Mm -hmm. and less so on Facebook because Everyone always calls these different areas echo chambers. Mm -hmm. And I think there is such a thing as an echo chamber that is bad. But I think that a lot of times when people talk about echo chambers on social media, they are calling when you meet like-minded people who you can speak openly with, Mm -hmm. they lump that in with bad echo chambers. Right. I see what you're saying. Because like I have a Facebook group that you're in which you need to interact more. We're a lot of fun. Um, but like it's, it's, that's one of those groups that it came out of um, an echo chamber. We were, we were all in an echo chamber. And me and a couple other people pushed back, made a podcast and moved on and created what we wanted, kind of an oasis. Sure. Like we're not, not in the real world anymore. We're not talking, we're not, ignoring people who are from the left or from the right or anything like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there's this place we can go to where we can vent about the things that we can't vent about to other people. Oh, sure. So fucking valuable. So there is value in compartmentalization, I think, where you do have your little group that you know you can trust and that you can say things to. And that's different than sort of the interactions with Twitter at large, which is just sort yeah. of the open screaming vent from which the <laughs> the sound effects from Event Horizon come from. Yeah. Um, and there is that wider Twitter world. And it's it's awful. It's a shit show. But I almost say that lovingly because it's not like oh, no, I don't great. participate in it. Like yeah. it's a circus, but I'm in there, you know? I'm diving in. I'm chopping it up. And I'm I'm allowing myself to become frustrated by strangers. But I do think that <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> we're seeking connection even with pe- even when we're disagreeing with people, even when we're like, man, this person's an idiot. We're seeking connection. This is the only reason yeah. we're spending time on them in the first place. And so uh, on some level, the person you're arguing with, no matter how stupid you think they are, you really want them to understand you. And that's why it's so frustrating to me when I think someone is purposefully misunderstanding me. I'm just like, why? I have to stay here now. <laughs> the other, like maybe a week or two ago, I had posted a clip from 
um, Ruben, the Ruben report where he spoke to Joe Jorgensen. Mm-hmm. And it was a very embarrassing little clip that I thought was just hilarious. And my mentions were flooded for days because I got retweeted by both Ruben and Dave Smith. Ah, that'll do it. And so I had these barnacle accounts as as I think I think Malice has used that before. Um, but I had these these people just, the, you know, the NPCs of the of the libertarian world. Mm-hmm. the lp people yes um just all jump in my mentions and like disagree with the reality of the clip which is so bizarre to me like i don't like you can like i could look at moments when dr paul was running if i had felt embarrassed i would have been like oh that was a little embarrassing right like i never had that kind of weird idol worship thing and you know, I, I'm all like that. Then that was the thing about Dr. Paul was I was always afraid he was going to say something, and then I was going to feel embarrassed or have to back it up. Yeah. And or or have to go. Oh well, I disagree with him on this. But it was just like that was always been my fear is not that I would have to defend someone who said something silly or embarrassing or wrong. It was that I would have to like go against them. <laughs> right. Right. Like fire back. Mm-hmm. And, I, I enjoy firing back. But like, that's what's great about Twitter is when I, I tweeted that there was this one account that kind of more or less said, well, you know, I, I don't see what's embarrassing about it, but there is something about this that's disconcerting to me. And I don't know how much more I can do with the LP anymore. And I was like, okay, Why? And it was just this thing where it was like you could tell it was an honest response to what I had yeah, said, yeah. which was more or less it was both hilarious to me and to rile people up, but it was like a, a very honest and real response. And you can tell those. Yes. And and I was like, why? And she was like, Well, my state LP is a shit show. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're all like this or if it's just mine or whatever. And I was like, well, here are two here are two people I know that were very heavily embedded within their state parties, two different states. And they if you talk to them, they'll tell you if they're you're experiencing the same thing that they are. I recommend talking to them. Mm-hmm. And I and I know that what their experience was, but I didn't want to give their experience to someone else. Like if you want to go to the source. but it was funny and she was like well you know and she was like well well, you know what would you do and I was like well I'm I'm not interested in voting I'm not interested in voting for Joe Jorgensen whatsoever because I don't want to encourage what the LP has done in their quote-unquote pragmatic approach to things and going after the left and being kind of mean to the more conservatarians Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and stuff like that and we had a relatively good conversation she was like well thank you for being honest and open with me. I was like, you're welcome. And then like yesterday, I think I, or today I said, Hey, I'm doing a live stream on election night, which by the way, if you're listening to this, we're doing one Tuesday night. So I tried to get Jessica to come, but no, (laughs) Jessica just has to hang out with women. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Freckles and Brit already got me. It's going to be a big clam jam. So if you, if you like chicks better than dudes, come, come see the clam jam on the Freckles and Brit show. I mean, when define like, because sexually. <laughs> no, no, you can um, switch back and forth. 
between the two. I think that we need we need to find a way to like join each other's at some mm. point. I feel like that would be fun. But I would need to talk to them, not to you. <laughs> merge um. <laughs> merge the podcast. <laughs> just 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 like me go and be over in there for a second and be like, what are you guys doing over here? What's happening in this hen house? That would be fun just to like bar hop <laughs> to different podcasts on election night. I would love yeah. to. I'm just going to go around to different people's podcasts. Be like, hey, let me in. I'm here. Let me in. I told people that that was happening mm-hmm. today. Yeah. And that girl was like, I'm definitely going to listen to that because your live tweeting of the debate was excellent commentary and you deserve to host an award show for that. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, yeah. looks like I made a friend. <laughs> that was a, yeah, that was a lot of fun. But the tweets that night were great. I have oh, to say. Boy. Oh, I had so much fun. <laughs> and that's, that's what was hard about the last debate. We live streamed the debate, but I had figured out that you could do a ticker lower third and type in whatever you wanted to. And so Monica Perez was there and several others. And the whole time I'm just like typing on my keyboard, putting more and more jokes in the bottom of the screen because like I just kept having ideas. And so I I spoke less than normal because I was just like, oh yeah, I can make jokes and (laughs) wait till someone notices. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's something to be said about screaming into the void of Twitter because I've not made a lot of, friends being on twitter mm-hmm. i've made some like there's some great people that i've met but a lot of times it's just like i get to make jokes someone else makes jokes and then our jokes converge and it's like hey we're friends now yeah. and i just like that like that's what's great about it is yeah get, you get to meet the people who are going to make fun of the same people you're making fun of basically my criteria for following people on twitter is that you have to make me laugh and i don't mean make me laugh because you're dumb like if you genuinely make me laugh because you're funny i'll probably follow you and that's dangerous that's why you unfollowed damn it what did i i didn't un- did i unfollow? i'm just joking i'm just joking I'm you just can't joking. do that to me i believe <laughs> i'm very gullible <laughs> like oh no no i actually <laughs> Um, that's so not fair. I got really worried. <laughs> no, um, oh. so unfortunately that has meant sometimes I follow people with wildly different, um, ideas than me. Um, yeah. maybe not unfortunately, but sometimes I'm like, whoa, uh, I made a mistake just because you told a really <laughs> good joke one time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I rarely follow people. Like I, I follow a few people. Because it's like, I have to have a meaningful interaction mm-hmm. or you have to be like regularly funny mm-hmm. for me to follow you. It's like one of the two. And a lot, of t- a lot of times it's just meaningful interaction that gets a follow. Yeah. But like, if, or I will follow you if I troll you and you laugh and make a joke. <laughs> like if, if because I, I, I went through this like probably 20, 30 tweet thread where i was just trolling the hell out of this guy and he got to the point he's like you've been trolling me this whole time haven't you and i was like hey he was like god damn it you got me i was like hey we're friends now (laughs) yeah (laughs) you took it like a champ we're we're, this is good (laughs) there are a couple of people i've had interactions like that where we were going hard at each other and it just turned into really funny ass jokes and then we i'm like are we good friends now (laughs) (laughs) holy shit did we just become best friends Yep. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, so one of the things that I wanted to show you, I hope you haven't seen it. Probably not. I have purposefully not been allowing the cathedral to run my life lately. So the Lincoln Project, that group of um, neocon morons, Rick Wilson, I think is the head of it, decided they were going to make an anti-Trump ad. Wait, those people and are conservative? They're neoconservative. Okay. So, yes yeah. and no. They're Trotskyist conservatives. Yeah, that seems accurate. <laughs> well, I mean, you do know the neoconservative movement came from uh, post-Trotskyites, right? No, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, that's the that's the um, the philosophical framework. They came. They were they're post-Trotskyite. That's amazing. I had never considered that before, but thinking about it, it makes perfect sense. Yep. Wow, what an interesting little factoid we just learned, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, but here, I want you to watch this video okay. because it's an anti-Trump ad, and I think it's easily the most pro-Trump thing I've ever seen in my life. Okay. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. me to wake you and tell you what happened in the election. Who won? Trump. Trump won. But I thought you could only be president two times. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Stop them. Or it will never stop. Vote, Vote him, him out. out. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content Ugh. of this episode. Responsible. I'm glad they phrased it like that because they are responsible for that. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that's great because um, Trump trolled the media probably about a year ago by putting out a little video where it was like, Trump uh, 2020, Trump 2024, 2028. And then it kept like rolling. Like, and then it was like... Long past, he would never be alive. And it was like, Trump forever. And the media gobbled it up. They were like, Trump really thinks he's going to have a third. Of course not. Like, there's no part of his imagination that thinks that. But they will run with it. What was funny, though, was Trump actually taught his audience how to troll the media and leftists. At one of his rallies, people were going, four more years four more years and he goes if you really want to if you really want to get under their skin say 12 more years <laughs> like he told them to do this and it's the best thing in the world <laughs> it's you know it's really hard not to like him it's really hard that was one of my tweets the other day is you know growing up i knew who donald trump was I saw him in Home Alone too. Yeah. Even though the Canadian, even though the Can I'm in America, luckily, but the Canadians scrubbed him from their TV version of Home Alone too. Aww. You can't rewrite history, guys. <laughs> but I knew who he was. I knew what The Apprentice was, and I never understood the draw of the dude. But I never watched anything with him in it, really. Yeah. And so the other day, and also I'm I'm a very white boy, 
I've never listened to Kanye West. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I never have. I just, I've never been into rap. But the other day I tweeted, I was like, I said, uh, I really, really like Donald Trump and Kanye West for very different reasons. And I never would have expected that to happen. No. The timeline is all askew right now. There are things going on that I... Could you imagine trying to explain this moment in time to yourself at this time last year? <laughs> like, go back and find you right before <laughs> Halloween in 2019 and try to explain to that person everything that has occurred in the last 365 days. You would never believe it in a million years. I wouldn't. And I also... It's like, try to tell me two or three years ago that Kanye West came to had a come to Jesus, became a Christian, put yep. out a Christian album, and well, I knew you figure he'd always run for president, but like is making arguments against sex trafficking yeah. on the Joe Rogan podcast. Like Putting, I never would have been like like the in twenty eighteen Kanye being pro life. West, yeah. In twenty eighteen Kanye West actually gave out an award at like a the Pornhub Awards. And now he's currently speaking against Pornhub in their yeah. use of human trafficking. It's There's been an interesting turn in people's hearts lately that I've noticed that they're either going one direction or the other, but they're going all the way that direction. And some people are kind of coming back to tra- traditional values and other people are like burn the system down. And there's no yeah. one who wants things to remain as they are. Um but there, yeah, it definitely seems like the culture is splitting into camps. Yeah. Well, and th- there's going to be a dark winter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they keep saying Game of Thrones. So they keep saying. Yeah, well, yeah I, made, I, I made the connection immediately to winter is coming. But let's hope this season of 2020 doesn't end like season, what is it, eight of Game of Thrones? What a garbage garbage thank you garbage (laughs) that whole sitting around the table and deciding what everything was going to be for everybody and that poor little fat kid going what about democracy and they all look at each other and go no we're not going to try that and you're like well at least there's some smart people at the table (laughs) or you know they couldn't take off the starbucks cup they couldn't take the cup off the table before they shot the scene. Oh, God. Yeah. See, I didn't notice it. But once it was pointed out, I was like, that's bad. You guys have a huge <laughs> budget. That is just not okay. Yeah. But but that's the thing. Uh, I actually, I can't remember who it was, but someone had tweeted a video. And I think I cannot be, I can't verify this because I can't remember exactly. I saw it in passing. But I think it was a video from... That was talking about maybe the Spanish flu, and they called it the Dark Winter. Uh, and so I think I don't know what the connection is, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it wasn't the Spanish flu. Maybe it was a different flu or a different pandemic. But I do think that Biden's people did some digging to find the scary old sayings that scared people back in the day. Sure, sure, yeah. And decided to use them for for now to scare people out of voting for Trump. I have this sort of impression amongst my friends who are Biden voters 
that um, first of all, I don't I don't know a single soul who actually supports Biden. But yeah. of all the people I know that are going to vote for Biden, there's this vague threat in the air that um, this is what we need to do to go back to normal. And if we vote yeah. for Biden, things will just go back to normal. And if we don't, and if the other guy wins, things are going to go haywire, which in a way is a vague kind of threat. And, yeah. you know, I can see people who have like children and, and you know, all the, the cares and worries of an average American adult being like, I just want everything to go back to normal. And there's no way for me to explain to them, this doesn't go back to normal either way. Biden the or Trump. The toothpaste is out of the tube. The toothpaste is out of the tube. That's exactly right. The, what the media is has been so exposed. The voter fraud that's been exposed. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Project Veritas release that happened today. Where I they, haven't watched it yet. Yeah, it's pretty damning. It's pretty damning. And then, you know, social media censorship has taken off on a level that I honestly, if you again, if you had tried to tell me a year ago that Twitter would shut itself down to prevent that Hunter Biden story from getting out, I would have been like, there's no way. They took off Kaylee McEnany for sharing a New York Post article. Yeah, the U.S. press secretary got banned from Twitter from sh for sharing actual journalism. And yeah. we, from you like know. One of the oldest, if not the oldest newspaper in America. And we go around chuckling like, ha, 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 I guess we're in the dystopia now. But I think we're all kind of doing that so that we don't freak out. Um, it's better it, to laugh than to cry. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. But like any anybody knows that that's you're already in. You better start believing in dystopian stories because you're in <laughs> one. Um, and I don't know where it goes from here. I, I, I don't know if we gather around and burn down the old Bailey or what's supposed to happen. But I do know that if if true violence breaks out on a mass scale it's not going to be the concerned thoughtful um you know libertarian rothbardian perspective that carries the yeah. day afterward there just aren't enough of us and the ideas that we present are very strange to people especially people yeah. who have been living in a two-party duopoly for their entire lives so you know just this idea that if we could just overthrow the state in some way that we can make all of our dreams come true. It's 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 a fantasy. And well in and like the the collapsitarians and the boogaloo boys. Like it's something that for me boogaloo was always a joke. Mm -hmm. Like it was, you know, um Civil War 2 electric boogaloo. That's where it I, came from. I certainly took it that way that it was humorous, yeah, but I you mean, know now that some people are taking it very seriously. Well, and that's the thing is like I saw people start to take it seriously. And I, my thoughts on that were, well, well, I, I even said, you know, why is it that it's the left that's doing these the boogaloo mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And with the different riots and stuff? Why, why are you guys, if it's a joke, that's great. Make your jokes. But if it's not a joke, how are they beating you to this? Yeah. Like, what, what's going on here? But I never wanted that. I don't want a boogaloo. And I think it's incredibly stupid. And I think it's been borne out now mm -hmm. that if you if you label yourself in such an obvious way that you very easily and clearly become a target. Yeah, you will attract the wrong kind of attention from the state, which is not a, a fight you're going to win, brother. I'm sorry. No. And and it's like the there are uh, apparent boogaloo boys being arrested. Sure. Now. 
people talk a lot of shit online and they want to show off their arsenals and they want to talk about how they're going to overthrow the state. What do you think is going to happen? Like, let's live in a practical reality. I'm not saying that should yeah. happen to you just because you're talking shit. I'm saying that it will. And, you know, you can choose not to listen to me on that score, but it's still going to happen. Well, and it's like a lot of the times that people talk about civil war, it's never spoken about in such a way that it's purely taking down the state. Mm -hmm. It's taking down their ideological opponents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's taking down the people on the streets. And that's been that's been seen. Yep. You've seen the fights on the streets between the quote unquote Antifa anarchists who are all pushing for Biden. And as Joe Biden called them, the poor boys. The poor boy. He's <laughs> just a poor boy. Like, Nobody loves him. <laughs> but it seems like the way certain people that I've seen view a civil war, they don't view it as us versus the government, and they're not going to. They don't view it as two different styles of governments fighting each other. Mm -hmm. They view it as a very personal us versus them, mm -hmm. a very individualized us versus them. Like they want to shoot leftists. And that group of us can include an impossibly small amount of philosophical adherence. Like this is something I run into on anarcho Twitter all the time. I call them anarcho tryhards. And there are these people who like they just found out about Rothbard and they are really excited about it. But mm -hmm. um, it leads them to take on a sort of uh, unrealistic view of the reality that they're living in, in which they say, We're, we, whoever that means, are going to throw this big boogaloo. And then the power structure that arises out of that is going to be this very narrow. Um, anarchist state. <laughs> anarchist state, whatever the hell that means. And that, you know people are all the people of the world are going to think like me you know and and, yeah. and even if you think it's, it's okay it's going to be your family and your friends and people like that it's also going to be the people who are at walmart rioting in philadelphia right now and those people yeah. don't have stealing the same washing machines stealing washing machines those people don't have the same philosophies that you do they're not going to adhere to your uh non-aggression principle and then the comical response that comes from that is well i have guns okay <laughs> <laughs> All right. you have guns you also have a bad heart and a knee brace and a bad a1c and you need insulin and so someone like you probably ought not to hope that the entire complicated supply chain that keeps you alive is going to collapse because of violence that's not something yeah. that anybody actually wants and if you're stupid enough to want it you know, I noticed that you're not the person who's volunteering to line up to starve to death. Yeah. And, you know, people think it's going to be some glorious triumph where freedom wins the day over the authoritarian state. And what it's going to be is you watching children starve. So the, the, this foolish notion that you're going to increase human freedom by plunging them into uh, terrible chaos from which might arise an authoritarian state even worse than the one we have now uh, is not a, a path to success. Whereas you can acknowledge the reality that we exist in today and say, okay, uh, the state gets in the way of human freedom. 
what can I do to solve problems without the state? And there are people who go about the effort of trying to solve human problems in voluntary private market solutions. And, you know, no, there's going to be this constant tag back and forth, but you're never... You're never going to have a libertarian revolution. It's just not going to happen. Right. You're not going to convince 324 million people who have been living in a duopoly their entire lives of Rothbardian ethics. Like the right. impossibility of that task when you can't even convince the other libertarians who 90% of the way agree with you to agree to any kind of cohesive philosophy. To agree to let you just leave you alone. Just, yeah. Like, yeah, let me do my thing. I don't have to be like you to believe the same things you do. Like, I I don't want to boogaloo. I don't want to fight. I don't want to vote. I don't want to partake in politics whatsoever because I do believe that politics is the soul killer. Mm -hmm. I don't want any part of it. But there are people out there who are libertarians and who, quote unquote, agree with me on 90% of things who can't just let me sit with that belief. I was I just had a thought while you were talking because you mentioned the non-aggression principle, mm -hmm. which is a good principle. It's it's a good thing. But it seems like there's a certain small contingent of people. I don't like cops. I'm I'm not a fan of cops. Like I, I I'd rather I'd rather they not be near me. Um, I think that their job by way of agreeing to enforce immoral laws mm -hmm and take that as their job title and agree to it wholeheartedly, that's a bad, that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Those are bad cops. However, there are people who, like on the left, so do you remember several years ago when Richard Spencer was having a conversation with someone on camera mm -hmm. and some guy came over and sucker punched him in the head yeah. because he was a Nazi? I remember that moment because... I was a leftist when that happened, and that was, like, the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, that was the meme of the century, Richard Spencer yeah. getting punched in the face. And what I see is a certain small amount of people who will use the NAP and stretch out the definition of aggression to the point where you can kill almost anyone mm -hmm. who deals with the government. Yeah. And it'd be they are the ones who aggressed first. Yeah. It's 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 kind of this the antithesis of the Nazi thing. Or or the other the other side of that coin. The where punch, you can a punch a Nazi. Right. You can right. De dehumanize someone who, who believes differently than you. Right. It's kind of the opposite it's kind of the other side of the coin. Do you do you do you see what I'm seeing? Yeah, I I I think that's a really great point, actually. That like so I had this Twitter exchange that uh, I think that you saw, too, where a person was insisting that anybody who attacks a police officer is actually acting in self-defense because that police officer has signed up with an authoritarian state to oppress them in some way. And like, OK, I suppose philosophically, I agree with you, um, but yeah. philosophical. <laughs> Philosophies are simply ways of ordering your thoughts to better understand the world. They're not always practical in your application. So the example was this most recent police shooting that happened where the man had a knife and he ran toward the cop with the knife, got 
you know, within that 10 foot window and the cop put him down. I had commented that if somebody were coming at me with a knife, I'm not sure I would give them a 10 foot clearance. So you kind of got to respect the cop for, you know, the cop was even saying no, 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 you know? Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen plenty of those. Do you know how deadly a knife is? I I don't want to ever find out. I'm not going to give anybody the opportunity to find out if I have a firearm. Yeah. People act like it's nothing. Oh, you're just going to get a little cut. No. You know how quickly someone dies at the hands of a knife? Like, my dad, when I was growing up, he gave me a pocket knife. I think I was like six or seven. Mm-hmm. And he said, he told me, which is kind of a weird thing to tell a child, was if you ever get in a fight, do not pull out your knife. Yeah. That's and dad. I was like, I was like, why? Not because I wanted to, but I wanted to know why. And he was like, even though you may hurt someone with a knife, there's always a chance that they overpower you. Mm-hmm. And stick you with it. Yep. Most homeowners are shot with their own guns, by the way. In in yeah. break-in situations, a lot of people have their guns taken right away from them and are shot with them. So um, if you get one, be practiced with it. Yeah. Well, and, and a, a cop comes to my door in the middle of the night, bangs on the door, busts down the door. I'm going to shoot at him. Sure. That's, that is very clearly you are aggressing against me, period. I don't feel like I need to split hairs for every cop encounter yeah. that's ever happened. I can say that if I was that cop, I would have shot that dude. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so too. And that's what I was trying to get at. And the dude was saying, well, you're taking up the position of a cop and you shouldn't be defending cops. Cops are always the aggressor. It's like, by virtue of this person having this uniform, and that's funny because they were accusing, you, you think cops have special rights. You think cops have a magical uniform. I was like, no, it seems like you think the cops have donned a uniform that makes it okay for you to kill them. So you seem to think their uniform is magical. And we can talk about philosophy and purism and all of these things all day long. But the truth is, I see a certain contingency of human beings on both sides who have taken what are not the most insane philosophies or philosophical points but they've stripped all of the humanity out of them. Sure, They've yeah. stripped all of the being pro-life out of them. They've stripped the NAP out of the NAP. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I, I don't interact with these people a lot, but I've seen it enough to notice that they are doing the very same things that the people that are on the other side of the coin as them are doing. Yeah. I can joke all day long about how communists aren't people, and we can drop them from helicopters. But I would never drop someone from a helicopter. Right. If right. given the chance to kill someone, I wouldn't unless I absolutely had to to protect my family. Right, right. People always scale everything up. This person is philosophically a communist. Therefore, and communism is responsible for 40 million people's deaths. Therefore, this person is subscribing to a murderous ideology. Okay, in a very large, broad stroke, you're absolutely correct. However, as any painter knows, when you are taking a pigment and painting it broadly across a canvas, it gets much thinner. And so the justification for violence is is very, very thin when you say a person just is... um, carrying a bad philosophy that yeah. people can be disabused of bad philosophies they just need somebody right. to talk to them like a human being 
Tom Woods is a primary example of this for me because I was a socialist leftist. I got disabused of my bad ideologies by somebody who talked to me like I was a human being and didn't say that, okay, you're evil for believing the things you believe. I wasn't evil. I was misinformed. And, you know, I became informed of better ideas and suddenly I'm not worthy of death anymore. Mm, Okay. So you would have killed me three years ago. Now I'm okay. (laughs) It seems like you're making a lot of permanent decisions for people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that's what, like, I am a very pro-life person across the board. Sure. I think that the non-aggression principle, um, I don't need it to say that abortion is wrong. But I think that if you apply the non-aggression principle to pregnancy and birth, you end up with the pro-life position. Sure. You should not kill another person. That's where I land. Mm-hmm. And I think when you lose the life part of liberty when you get rid of this idea that people can change that like you like you were talking about you can be disabused of these ideas but people don't i don't know why they can't get past that point like i i don't understand can you explain that to me at all do you understand this like like when you saw richard spencer get punched what was going through your head because i hate nazis I hate these ideologies. I hate these state actions and how they function and how they kill people. But I didn't like seeing Richard Spencer punched. So um, for me, a lot of the reason I was able to walk away from leftist ideologies is because my friend group rolled on me. And the reason they rolled on me is because... I didn't approve of watching political violence. I didn't think that that was something admirable or funny or something that we wanted to adopt. We're supposed to be liberals. We're not supposed to punch our ideas into people. And by saying, you know, I I remember it clearly as day. The the guy's name was Paul. I won't tell you his last name, but his name is Paul. And he (laughs) says, um, you know, I said, it's not okay that Rand Paul's neighbor attacked him for political reasons. That's not okay. We shouldn't be celebrating that. He says, well, you know, basically, if it's okay to punch a Nazi, then it's okay to punch someone who's Nazi adjacent. And I thought, gosh, that's um, a really big stretch because you can lump almost anybody into that category. And just like we were talking about with the commie thing, I mean, you can stretch an idea so thin as to encapsulate almost any person that you want to and that's why this method is 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 such a poor means for accomplishing your goals because it makes you into the very monster that you're probably started out you you started out wanting to kill monsters and now you've become a monster in pursuit of trying to destroy them and gazed too long into the abyss you gazed too long into the abyss exactly And so, you know, I remember seeing that video of Richard Spencer getting punched and feeling that momentary satisfaction, like, yeah. And then the better angels of your nature take over and you think, okay, it's it's not all right. You know, it's you don't hit people, you know, no matter what their ideologies are, you don't hit them. That's not the way. I mean, I, I grew up in America where the ACLU defended the KKK. I understood freedom of expression and freedom of speech to mean the people who said odious, terrible, unthinkable things. 
because it doesn't count as defending the freedom of expression if it's only the ideas that you think are okay. It's only ever defending free expression when it's something you revile. So for me to say I'm a free speech advocate, but then think that it's okay for people to punch Nazis is clearly hypocrisy. And that started to eat at me. And um, when I defended Rand Paul from the violence that his neighbor was visiting on him, my friends basically told me that I was a, how did, oh my gosh, it's so stupid the way it was phrased. I was a white supremacist adjacent sympathizer. So I wasn't a white supremacist. I was a sympathizer of somebody who was white supremacy adjacent. And I was like, that's "That's too many things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I saw this tweet uh, earlier today of this communist person who the the original tweet was anti-Stalinism is anti-Marxism. Anti-Marxism is anti-communism. Anti-communism is pro-fascism. Anti-Stalinism equals pro-fascism. Wow. And then this person responded, okay, what's pro-Trotskyism? They said fascism. What's pro-liberalism? Fascism. What's egoist anarchism? Fascist. What's dengism? Fascism. Uh, So basically everything that isn't Marxist-Stalinism, even the other types of communisms are actually fascism? Yes. Wow. And he, he said, what's fascism? And he said, this person... Communists said, a right-wing authoritarian ideology which advocates extreme nationalism, particularly along racial lines. Meaning communism. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning exactly communism. And so, I mean, I, I can't say that I see the exact breadth of anti-humanity on the right or in libertarian circles as I do on the left. Because I have to be honest, like I'm, I, I could pretend that the right is the same as the left. I could pretend that the, the new right is the same as the left. But they're not. And, you know, conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you see a lot of these people who are just a few steps behind these very far left, very anti-human advocates. <laughs> I think the communist Soviet Union was very successful at infiltrating our educational institutions. Absolutely. Um, but they collapsed. So the fruit, which is now ripe and ready to fall into their hands. See, they never intended on having a war with us. They, 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 they were going to poison the minds of our children. They've successfully done that. And now the fruit is ripe. But there's no USSR to come claim the prize. So right. we're just sitting here. With the Borg is dead. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, you know, we've got a huge problem on our hands because the um, the communist takeover happened and there aren't any more communists. <laughs> well, I suppose there's China and uh, the Obama administration and Joe Biden have been selling us out to them um, completely yeah. for the last 10 and years. The, so. And the DPRK, of course, is communist. But so, a lot of this Joe stuff- Biden won't talk to Kim Jong-un at all until he agrees to unilaterally get rid of his nuclear program. So it's like, I won't talk to you unless you do exactly what I want you to do. And I put more sanctions on. Oh, 
Do, do you know how much that frustrates me? If the only person who had ever punched anybody in the room came up and told you you're not allowed to fucking uh, box, you're not allowed to punch anything, I would be like, fuck you, dude. I'm not saying that I think, you know, North Korea is great or anything, but if the only country in the world that's ever used nuclear weapons told me I couldn't have them, um, yeah. I wouldn't listen. Well, the DPRK kind of use themselves as a porcupine like they not in the libertarian sense obviously but they want that protection from the united states and from other governments mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. they know they're doing wrong they know that there are people out there who want to stop them and they've been paranoid and indoctrinated their entire lives mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like and so that's that's understandable that the Kims would want to hold on to their power as much as they could. And that includes having a nuclear arsenal so that, you know, when two people are pointing a gun at each other, they're much less likely to shoot each other because they know they could get shot right then as well. Sure. But when Joe Biden was on that debate stage and talked about how we should put more sanctions on North Korea, like, I don't know if you've read Dear Reader. Have you read Dear I Reader? I own it. I have not read it yet, but I have the you book. You need to. It's on my list. You need to. But when you realize that North Korea is a 25 million person concentration camp, essentially, mm -hmm. it's their 25 million hostages that have been taken by the Kims and have lived under him under them for, what, 50, 60 years? What does hurting them help? Right, Anybody. because all you're doing is you're not going to hurt Kim Jong-un. He's still going to get his food. Mm -hmm. He's still going to be fat. How, what's it like being the only fat kid in North Korea? <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, the medical care there is not really up to snuff because um, he's apparently not doing so well. But the only people that you hurt if you put sanctions on North Korea are the North Koreans, the people have, who yeah. have no control of their lives, who've been indoctrinated from birth, who've been told and taught to tell on each other every day of their lives to make sure that no one becomes a class traitor and turns on the Kim regime. Mm -hmm. And the United States, Joe Biden, wants to use those people as a bargaining chip to get rid of or to make Kim Jong-un do what he wants. But what he doesn't seem to realize, or maybe he does and he's just pure fucking evil, is that the Kims have never cared about the Korean people. They've cared about their power. Mm -hmm. Kim Jong-il let his people starve just so that the United States wouldn't help them and they could call the United States their enemy. Wow. Doing that plays into their hands mm -hmm. and they do not give a fuck if their people die. So anyone who ever says something about putting sanctions on North Korea is an evil person. Yeah. I I get the sense that people feel that because the population seems to support Kim, they're all in with him. So it's all one big lump together. And, you yeah. know, that's an unfortunate perception. I, I, I get that sense when people talk about like the Soviet Union, too, that... Yeah. The people, well, they all wanted to do a communism, and that's what you get when you do communism right. is you all starve, and that's that's not what happened. Those people 
really didn't sign up for that. The Bolsheviks shot their way into that situation. They took power by force and then allowed great numbers of their people to starve to death in order to, you know, basically keep the people in the cities under the illusion that communism works. Yeah. And do you know how much American media and capitalism eking its way into the minds of the people in the Soviet Union helped change their minds? Yeah. And helped push them against the regime? I joke, but it's not really that much of a joke. I I say that McDonald's brought down the Iron Curtain, that they could smell the fries over the wall. And, you know, they were like, hey, we're not living too good over here. And there's some truth to that. One of the examples that I've heard used is that there was a television, an American television show, and I can't remember which one, but in the television show, there was a maid that wore a fur coat or had a fur coat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the people in Russia saw this or had a car or something like that, something of that nature. And they saw this media and said, wait, the maid has these things and I can't have a pair of shoes. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. That's what that's what helps destroy these regimes. The the jig was up. But the hope for the DPRK. I don't know how we got to the DPRK, but it's it's it, Michael Malice really shifted my paradigm on that. But the way to help the people of Korea, which is who you should be trying to help, not trying to to defeat the Kims. You need to have, you need to have a heart for the the hostages, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. the people who were living underground because they were cl- class traitors, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is to open up their eyes to the niceties of South Korea. Mm-hmm. South Korean TV is making its way into North Korea and people are opening their eyes to things. So there's an organization, I don't remember the name of it offhand, which is unfortunate, but they take USB drives that are donated to them mm-hmm. and they put books and media, movies, TV shows and things like that on and they just kind of airdrop them. So yeah. at, at the very least, the people have access to uh, using USB technology. So yeah. that's something. So some of that media is getting over there. And I agree with you that, you know, once the people are wise to the fact that their leaders have been allowing them to basically live in Stone Age squalor, it's not going to be easy for them to keep uh, maintain that power. And um, to bring up the Soviet Union as a comparison again, because the, it, it's a ready comparison. Um, yeah. It, it, it's interesting that they... A lot of people will point out that Gorbachev did not bring the hammer down on people when they finally decided they wanted to end communism and the, the yeah. break up the USSR. He couldn't have brought down the hammer. Yeah. He didn't have the resources to do it. They never could have sustained the kind of, um, you know. There weren't uh, enough tanks. There were not enough tanks. You know, so uh, to his credit, he, he did guide that as bloodlessly as he could. And I think that he deserves a lot of credit for doing that. But at the same time, it, it had already undone itself. The yeah. the, the state... The Ceausescu's man. That, oh, God. That was a paradigm shift. That was... I watched a documentary about that very, very recently. And did you know that they executed the president and his wife live yes. on television? Christmas Day. 
My yeah. God. And the whole way, walking those people up to the wall where they were shot, the wife did not seem to like get what was happening. They yeah. were bickering with each other like an old they couple. They didn't think it was possible. No. And it makes me wonder if that's what it was like for, you know, when there was the paradigm shift of the royal families, like in France yeah. and in Russia being taken out. Um, even England, Charles I during the 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 Great Reformation, or um yeah. it's Oliver Cromwell. Uh yeah. That that living in the old world, you can't possibly see that this paradigm shift has happened underneath you because you ha have existed in that old world for so long. I yeah. believe we're on the precipice of something like that now. Yeah. We don't know what's just beyond that horizon because we haven't seen anything like it before. We only know this. The people of North Korea only know that. But they and we are on the precipice of some awakening, some realization that things don't have to be the way that they are. I will say the Kims are incredibly smart. They sure. saw what happened in Russia they saw what happened. Kim Jong-il, allegedly, or uh, I think Kim Il-sung, I'm not sure which one it was, one of the Kims, uh, when the Ceausescus were shot, they took that video and showed it to their men. And they said, this is what happens to us, this is what happens to you if there is a revolt. Oh, wow, that's very clever. They have taught the people and these different levels of people that if this happens, this is them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they say what you will about them. They are ready. They've seen the Ceausescus. Mm -hmm. They, I mean, it's still history and who knows what will happen in the future. They'll probably, he'll, Kim Jong-un or his sister, uh, who probably will never actually take power because she's a girl. Um, will they probably won't know what's happening but they know what has happened and they're smarter than we make them out to be mm -hmm. and it's terrifying <laughs> i okay so on her being a chick thing i know that uh korea is a very patriarchal society however it is worth pointing out that mid medieval england which i would argue was an equally patriarchal society was ruled for more years by women and the it's women who managed possible. the women who managed to climb to the top of that pile have to be so much more devious and sinister and ruthless than any man um yeah. to get to that position and there's just something about that chick that puts the puts the willies to me man well and, she's and a it's shark possible it's possible that that could happen um I think that what makes it more possible than it would have been otherwise is the fact that uh, Kim Jong-un had his older brother killed mm -hmm. and he doesn't have any heirs at this point. Mm. So the fact that I think one of his brothers was passed over because he was like a girl, is I what thought, Kim Jong-il said. I thought he had children. He does, but they're they're young. From what oh, I, I see. Okay, okay. So, um, like, because he had his older brother, half-brother, Kim Jong-nam, killed. And his other brother, 
his other older brother, Kim Jong-il, passed over him because he was like a girl. He was effeminate. So he was like, I'm giving it to Kim Jong-un. Imagine okay. how effeminate that boy has to be if Kim Jong-un got the spot. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, eh, we'll go with the fat one. <laughs> <laughs> so we we went all over the place. I love these conversations. I can't believe you brought up Ceausescu. Um very few people uh, know about that story because he, uh, modern history is so yeah. much less looked at than um, everybody knows about the Romans and the Greeks and they could tell you all about things that happened hundreds of years ago, but the things that happened in just the last 50 years are almost a dark age for most people. And, you know... Whoever decided, whoever decides history is important hasn't made that particularly important it's about gorbachev it's not about the republic right the quote unquote republic of the soviet union it's about gorbachev it's about ronald reagan and even though george hw bush wrote to gorbachev and said that no one wants to see the fall of the soviet union mm, interesting let me tell you i hate when i have these conversations because i learned almost all of this from michael mellis <laughs> <laughs> and i always feel like such a tool but it's like this dude like he like honestly i love tom woods and i listen to a lot of tom woods but the best thing tom woods introduced me to was michael malice mm -hmm. not even just humor in humor but in the way he talks about different things has almost it, it kind of went dr paul malice so I will have to say that what I know about the USSR, the Soviet Union, the Holodomor, I attribute all of that to Michael Malice. I wouldn't have yeah. known to study any of those things in the uh, Ceausescu's. I heard of them because of him. And I, yeah. I went and watched that documentary and saw the footage of that couple being yeah. led out to be shot. And, you know, these were things that occurred during our lifetimes. Yeah. And read, it's, dear reader. Yeah. <laughs> like you and I, I know that I mention him too much. I'm a nerd, but we're like the big, two biggest malice stands on the planet. <laughs> I would be so, mortified if he ever found out how much I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it when he retweets me. <laughs> He's retweeted me three or four times and they've all been nice. They haven't been... Um, burns so i want to keep up my good record i've gotten two burns but oh. I, I i i shot back and he glowed so it works out good <laughs> uh but yeah no i think i think that that's what has been good about malice is i spent so much time after dr paul learning about the united states about the constitution about american history Mm -hmm, and I I didn't pay a lot of attention to the most evil country in the world right now, which is the DPRK. I mean, maybe they're tied with China, who has uh, the the Uyghur Muslim population in prison camps, and Christians in prison camps, and Buddhists in prison camps. But I didn't know these things, mm -hmm. and I think that what affected me about what affected me from Dear Reader was it accessed that human part of me like Dr. Paul did. So for me, the big thing with Dr. Paul was a um, 
speech called Imagine. And it was, I've mentioned it a lot of times, maybe I should just play it at some point, but I'm not going to do that right now. So I'm just going to go ahead and play it. This is the video that I saw of a speech from Dr. Paul that changed my life in a very positive way. Imagine for a moment that somewhere in the middle of Texas there was a large foreign military base, say Chinese or Russian. Imagine that thousands of armed foreign troops were constantly patrolling American streets in military vehicles. Imagine they were here under the auspices of keeping us safe or promoting democracy or protecting their strategic interests. Imagine they operated outside of U.S. law and that the Constitution did not apply to them. Imagine that every now and then they made mistakes or acted on bad information and accidentally killed or terrorized innocent Americans, including women and children, most of the time with little or no repercussions or consequences. Imagine that they set up checkpoints on our soil and routinely searched and ransacked entire neighborhoods of homes. Imagine if Americans were fearful of these foreign troops and overwhelmingly thought America would be better off without their presence. Imagine if some Americans were so angry about them being in Texas that they actually joined together to fight them off in defense of our soil and sovereignty because leadership in our government refused or were unable to do so. Imagine that those Americans were labeled terrorists or insurgents for their defensive actions and routinely killed or captured and tortured by the foreign troops on our land. Imagine that the occupier's attitude was that if they just killed enough Americans, the resistance would stop, but instead, for every American killed, 10 more would take up arms against them, resulting in perpetual bloodshed. Imagine if most of the citizens of the foreign land also wanted these troops to return home. Imagine if they elected a leader who promised to bring them home and put an end to this horror. Imagine if that leader changed his mind once he took office. The reality is that our military presence on foreign soil is as offensive to the people that live there as armed Chinese troops would be if they were stationed in Texas. We would not stand for it here, but we have had a globe-straddling empire and a very intrusive foreign policy for decades that incites a lot of hatred and resentment toward us. That video was posted 11 years ago. That speech was old then. This video is the video, the speech that changed me. This is the video that let me put myself in the minds and in the eyes of the Iraqi and the Af Afghani people. This is the video that changed me. And this shit's still going on today. Like that. Yeah. The reason I bring up that that was later. 20 years later. Well, that just that video was posted nine years ago. And that the yeah. speech was old when that video was posted. Yep. And we're still doing it. We're still there. We're still doing it. Yeah. That opened me up to to when I read Dear Reader. I started to see what the, the North Korean people saw. Yeah. I started to feel what these people felt. I can't feel what the Soviet people in the Soviet Union felt. I was too young to know. Mm -hmm. The Soviet Union fell a couple of years after I was born. 
But I still learned about the Soviet Union. I still learned about communism. But I don't think it's taught the same way even as it was shortly thereafter. No, it's barely touched on. I think there are reasons for that, by the way. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but I get very riled up about North Korea now. And I never would have thought that I would. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I owe a great deal, a great debt, rather, of gratitude towards Dr. Paul and towards Michael Malice for reconnecting me with the humanity that is inside of me that despises violence and war and death. Mm-hmm. And I think that far too often, especially with masks, we're able to dehumanize the people that are right across from us. Mm-hmm. And this is not what I want to see in my city. I don't want to see a civil war. I don't, I mean, adjusted for the for population, the civil wars, like what, one of the bloodiest wars of all times, if not the bloodiest? So they say that um, 60, uh, 650,000 people is the official toll, but a lot of people now think it's more closer to a million. And at the time, uh, there were 30 million people living there. So you're talking one thirtieth of the population was wiped out. Um, so that's if you could imagine everyone you know, one out of every thirty people being wiped out. Why would I want that? I don't want that collapse. I don't want to live in the Soviet Union as people tried to pick themselves up from their bootstraps to live again. I don't want to live in that world. We are now currently, especially those of us living in the United States, are living um, at the best possible time it has ever been to be a human being in terms of the uh, technology that we have, the ability to uh, cure diseases, all of yeah. the things that our forebears the have, chain. the supply chain, just the fact that uh, – Yesterday, I was on a podcast with uh, Monica Perez, who lives in California, and another fella who is a comedian in New York, and I'm a rural housewife that lives in Georgia, yet we're (laughs) able to sit here and have a conversation and communicate with one another. I mean, this is like the halcyon era of humanity. Uh, Just in the last 30 years from the 1990s, global poverty has reduced by almost half. Um, it's no longer a, a, a figure of billion. It's now down into the millions. And so when people talk about, oh, yeah, our lives are comfortable, but we have less freedom. You're saying comfort because you're an American. That comfort yeah. to China and India has meant millions less people starving to death. Millions right. of people having access to toilets. We're not talking about small numbers of people here. We're not talking about small amounts of human suffering. So if your goal in life is really about human freedom, you have to Mm -hmm. see what human freedoms are bought by that level of technology being accessible to people through markets. Um, So no, of course I don't endorse the empire building of the United States. All of that is awful. In the same time, at the same time, additionally, we, uh, global poverty has been reduced. So it's, yeah. you know, you do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
And it's, how much more could we do or see if we were able to reduce the empire, as it were? Sure, if yeah, we were yeah. To to lower the amount of money spent blowing people up and closing up borders and closing up trade, as we do. I mean, it's it's it, there. We could do better, and that's that's a good thing to want. Ideals are not bad. Utopias don't exist, but ideals are things that are good to strive for. I was in a an interesting conversation on Twitter earlier with somebody who had said that they had never seen an anarchist say that anarchy uh, was the the idea of an anarchist society was utopian. I was like, okay, well now you have. <laughs> um, <laughs> anarchy is a philosophy. Uh, Philosophies are simply ways of under ways of ordering your thoughts so that you can under better understand the world. I believe that human problems are best solved without the state. That is yeah. an anarchic philosophy. Um, mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But to say that I believe that things can be ordered in such a way that I can create my perfect Rothbardian libertarian type of society is a fantasy. Yeah. I think we exist in anarchy now. Everything you do that doesn't involve the state is an anarchic thing. It doesn't need to be raising a black flag or throwing a Molotov cocktail. It's if you brush your teeth and the state is not involved in any way, you are doing an anarchy. Um, yeah. And that is the goal, I think, of most agorists is to yes. reduce the involvement of the state in their lives as much as possible. When you look around, you see the state has their fingers in everything. Everything is tax. Everything is, you know, some way you have to have a license. The more things you do by hand and by yourself and, and trading with your neighbors and just things that you're able to do without um, state intervention, even in the form of taxes, denies them that dollar here and that dollar there. It doesn't seem like a lot. If I have chickens and I'm able to, um, you know, raise my own eggs instead of buying them from the store, let's say I only deny the government a couple of dollars worth of taxes, three dollars. Me as a yeah. taxpayer denied the government three measly little dollars. Well, it doesn't seem like a lot, but there are 110 million people who pay taxes. So if mm -hmm. each of those taxpayers through random tiny acts of agorism are able to deny the government $330 million, well, that's $330 million less dollars for them to bomb Yemen with or to... Or to give to scientists who want to see how cocaine affects birds and their sexuality. <laughs> to purposefully infect a community with syphilis, as was done in yeah. the Tuskegee experiment. Um, so any number of things that the state gets up to, none of which are good. Um, no, I, I don't think we're ever going to have the glorious uh, rebellion against the Empire. That's a, that's a movie. It's called Star Wars, and it was a lot of fun. But <laughs> <laughs> but just, they never figured it out either. Let's they be didn't figure They're... it out either. And in fact, um, the Mandalorian was really good about addressing this. Uh, there were members of the rebellion who were saying, look, as soon as we knocked the empire down and put these new people up, they turned around and did the same thing that the empire was doing. This is what yeah. states do. And I was or like, like I Hunger Games. Oh. Like when 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 they took when they took out President Snow in the Hunger Games and they wanted to end the Hunger Games because killing children and having them kill each other is wrong. And then the first thing the new president wanted to do was to institute 
a new Hunger Games. For the people of the capital, right? That's I had forgotten about that part, but yes, that's exactly the point. And so I think that these are things that exist in our nature. And so the yeah. idea that, you know, it, it's as utopian as the communist who believes we're going to do communism right this time. Well, even if you are, yeah, even if you are such a great person that you would never go down the path that Lenin or Stalin wanted to go down, there would, as Jordan Peterson says, there would be somebody waiting behind you to put a bullet in your brain and take over uh, the power from you anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how good of a person you are. And this applies to anarchists too. It doesn't matter yeah. how high-minded your non-aggression principle is. Everybody in the world would have to adhere to that principle. And you can't even get a bunch of anarchists who agree to the non-aggression principle to agree with each other. You're not going to yeah. have these big shootouts. People don't like disorder. They will find order. They will appoint a king. And it could go yeah. much, much worse than the system that we have now. So I don't think overthrowing this this state, which, believe me, definitely has problems, is moving the needle toward freedom. Not at no. all. Well, and I, I also think that any, for the most part, the good, there are good anarchists and there are bad anarchists. There are good philosophical anarchists and bad philosophical anarchists. There are people who are on Twitter who truly believe that if we get rid of the state, everyone will fall in line with the non-aggression principle because they were taught it as a child as don't hurt each other, don't take each other's stuff. Yeah, we're taught that, but do we do it? No. 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 <laughs> no. But the thing is, there are utopianists out there. There are people who speak of anarchy so poorly and so and misunderstand it so much that they give a bad name to people who aren't utopian they right. give a bad name to the people who like thomas sell talked about the uh the unconstrained vision versus the constrained vision which the left typically veers towards the un un unconstrained vision of humanity mm -hmm. which is the concept that the left and communists believe that they can change humanity mm -hmm. they can change man they can they can change his nature learn enough that they'll change their nature and rational self-interest will go out the door. That's not a thing. And this was the belief of the, the Robespierre and the French Revolution as well. Yeah. And so, and then you have the people that are, it's, it's more of, a, of an idea on the right, which is the constrained view, which is man is man. Man has his natural tendencies. Men tend towards hierarchy. Men tend towards order or try to go for order. Mm -hmm. Men try to that you're you can't change men and so you exploit man's rational self-interest in order to make the best for everyone that's mm -hmm. kind of the rights idea and i think the utopian anarchists somehow in in their path in their journey come across the this unconstrained vision of anarchy and so they believe that if then a if the state is gone everything's magically going to go better because no one's going to come up and try to become a warlord. Of course they are. As an anarchist, I know they are. Mm -hmm. But that's something we deal with and try to figure out the best way to deal with peacefully. Mm -hmm. Is it going to happen? Are we going to have an, an anarchist state, quote unquote? 
No. See, I don't even know what that means when people it say mean that. Anything. It doesn't mean anything. I, it's always so weird. Like how uh, when when this happens, we will institute um, and it'll be in Kapistan and everyone will follow the NAP. And it's like, no, they won't. And already we're talking in terms of we and what we're going to do as a group. And what are you going to do yeah. with people who don't want to do what you want to do? Uh-oh. <laughs> and that's the thing. I'm, I, and just to be clear, this is not all anarcho-capitalists. Mm-hmm. This isn't all... It's, it's not all of any group. It's a small group of people who've lost the sense of man. Mm-hmm. I When I was talking about this with someone the other day, I said, if you look at unconstrained versus constrained, it's really comedy versus tragedy. Tra- the, the, the people who understand man is man and we have to work with men as they are and figure out the best way to deal with people on a personal level to make others, to, to make things voluntary. That's the tragic view. We know what man is. You know what man is. Why are we pretending that we don't? I think... And it's, the, it's comedy, because comedy with enough time is tragedy anyway, so that's what happens <laughs> with... Gosh, that's so true, isn't it? <laughs> with with the, the unconstrained view. Look at the Soviet Union. I hear the criticism sort of in my mind's eye that anarchists would have of what I'm saying, which is because you know, some things are good, is it not worth trying to, you know, have this, I guess, statelessness, that we should strive for statelessness. And to some people that would mean um, using violence in order to throw off the oppression of the state. And so while I agree with almost everything up until that point, I, I am loath to say violence would bring us anything but destruction. And of course, as we've mentioned, a a more authoritarian government may take its place. But further than that, you're condemning a bunch of the people who will die because nobody who has this vision thinks that it can be done without death. We all know that it would result in the deaths of many, many people. So if you were- How many people is it worth? How many people is it worth? Yeah. And, you know, it's it's never you're, you're never putting your own family up when you're making this suggestion. OK, some people are going to have to die. We know that. But, you know, it'll all be worth it in the end, you guys. Well, y- you're not creating a more free world for those people. And how many of them will there be? It, it, how many how many millions are you willing to sacrifice to enact your vision? And suddenly you're Thanos, <laughs> who's willing to snap his finger to unmend the half of the population you don't like. Um, and this was your problem with the leftists in the first place. These are the, the authoritarians yeah. in the government you're pointing out saying that, well, the whole reason we need to have this anarchic society is because these people want to rule me and these people have this tendency where they're going to cause violence to their political enemies. But you just created a world where in order to have freedom which i said with quotation marks you have to kill those people so i don't see them as any different philosophically just because they use different terminology they still all view political violence as the means to their end which doesn't make them my ally yeah and and i'm I'm with you 100 percent because i think that the problem is that people 
dip towards collectivism. And Naturally. That's that is that is one of those things that you have to keep in check. I absolutely believe you should do everything that you can to push the needle towards liberty, towards freedom. But I think that if you forget that people are people, mm-hmm. that people matter, that they're 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 more than what everyone else thinks, then you lose something. Mm-hmm. You lose humanity. And I think that's why individualism is absolutely necessary. That's why I think the concept of agorism is absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. That's why the Soviet Union fell is because of thoughts and ideas that came in. Yes, there was some violence, but the United States didn't have to go in and bomb Russia out of existence. Some people fought, but a lot of it went through peacefully. And that's what we should go for. Do you know how the Angles were able to, de- how, how the English were able to defeat the Vikings? Because the Vikings outclassed them militarily on every level. The yeah. Vikings should have taken over England. But they got to England and they got a load of the Christian values and the Christian society and the way of life that the English people mm-hmm. were living. And they were Christianized. Yep. So this superior military force, which by all rights and numbers alone should have been able to take over England, instead were themselves turned into Christian people. So ideas are much more powerful than the sword in yeah. many ways. Not, not of, you know, of, of course, if somebody's got a sword, I would like to have a sword too. I'm not <laughs> saying I'm going to throw books at people with swords. But what I'm saying is that the proof is in the pudding as far as... The pen um, is mightier than the sword. That the pen is mightier than the sword because the, the Vikings, which I think we can all agree were some pretty badass freaking warrior dudes, um, <laughs> ended up wanting to settle down and be Christian. And, and let me... And honestly, as I'm having this conversation with you, as I'm making this argument, the honest... The God honest truth of it is I'm arguing for a Christian ethic. I'm not actually arguing for libertarianism. I mean, I am, but my my foundation is in the belief that not everyone shares that humans have a an inherent value that is worth protecting, that is worth giving up. Ah, the Randians would hate me, but... That's that's what I'm arguing for. And so when I'm on a Liberty podcast, I am sharing that I believe the Christian ethic, that Christianity, that Jesus is the hope. I am sharing that in the end, the only thing that can save us is Jesus and <laughs> the the resurrection and the remaking of the world. That is my belief system. But when I'm having a liberty conversation, I talk about agorism. Mm-hmm. I talk about being the change, being the individual, making the changes in your life and showing an example that translates to other people that makes you, your family, and more people free just by living. You, you have to, if you want to move a mountain, you have to start with the small stones. 
You can't yeah. just pick up a mountain and move it. That's not how it works. You will be crushed. You can start with small stones. And in the eventuality yeah. of time, nature can wear a mountain down to a valley. And, yeah. um, you know, although it's not as satisfying when you think about, oh, these tiny little acts of uh, civil disobedience when you're doing agoristic things, such as collecting your yeah. own rainwater or using solar to power your house, whatever it is that you're doing that denies that just little trickling amount a trickle you know the is Colorado what made the river is what made the grand canyon and so no it's not as satisfying as the idea that we're going to have a revolution it's not and um but freedom is worth doing right <laughs> you know yeah um not worth risking an authoritarian takeover much worse and every time i see people rioting on the streets and throwing molotovs at cops they cheer but they don't yeah. realize that the cops are coming back and in greater numbers. Yeah. You can't you can't fight you can't fight these people at their own game. That's what they want from you. And this yeah. is something that John Lennon said that they will poke you and pull your beard until they can get you to fight. Because once you're fighting, you're playing their game. And um I do believe that Jesus gave us a fantastic I you know, I, I know that some people <laughs> might cringe a little bit to hear it, but Jesus gives Jesus gave us a fantastic guide for dealing with this kind of thing which is you know he talks about turning the other cheek and he talks about sort of being the example to others that people will know you know that you're my followers by the way that you act and they'll want to be yeah, like they will, you they will know you by your love they will know you by your love thank you and they'll want they'll see that and they'll want to be be like you and i've had moments like that myself i was previously an atheist and i've had moments where i've looked upon Christians and thought, God, I want that, whatever that is that they have, yeah. I want that so badly. And um, that power has changed the world for the better in every possible metric, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, even if you're not a believing Christian, even if you don't believe that a man died on the cross and was resurrected, even if you don't believe that. You still have to acknowledge the way that Christianity has changed the world for the better on every possible metric. And yep. I, I I don't think that it's done making the world better yet. <laughs> no. Um, and that has to be done through us as individuals, through each tiny small action, and not through this uh, self-aggrandizing vision of yourself as a George Washington slash Rambo character in a hawaiian shirt that's yeah. not a reality i mean you need insulin dude you really don't want the supply <laughs> chain to shut down just you know think this through if you start talking about people uh yeah well some people are gonna have to die to enact this vision if you're not willing to put your wife up there if you're not willing to put your kids up there to starve to death then don't volunteer anybody else's for it yeah well and i think that that's what so beautiful to me about christianity the gospel the words of jesus is turning the other cheek walking the extra mile giving up your coat these if you look in the context of how when they were spoken how they were spoken and what they mean they meant they were acts of civil disobedience tiny as they were yeah it wasn't purely being i mean it was being kind but these were not like saying Jesus is Lord was a direct repudiation of the phrase Caesar is Lord. Mm -hmm. 
because of the deity of Caesar. The cult it was a of direct the state. repudiation of that. And that's that's why it works so well. That's why I have a Liberty podcast because I care about these things. But I care about these things because I know Jesus. I believe that's true. I, I think that even people who call themselves atheists but see themselves as caring people and compassionate people have that care and compassion because of the influence of Christianity on the world. You care about what happens to widows and orphans because of Christianity. You care about what happens to the poor because of Christianity. Without that, those would not be your ethics. And that's what makes anarchism, which I, if I'm splitting hairs, I'm not an anarchist. I'm a monarchist <laughs> in the way of Jesus being king. Because there is no king but Christ. Yeah. But the thing is, all of the calls that Jesus gave to his followers were personal calls. They weren't mm -hmm. state calls. That's right. There were collective calls, absolutely, but they were voluntary collective calls, not coercive collective calls. Right. Correct. Yes. I think that is a vital, vital distinction that quite a lot of people don't understand. That Jesus called on you to feed the poor. Yes, Christ did command us to, to, to care for the sick, to feed the hungry. He commanded us to do that so that you have food and you take it to the poor, not through this, you know, state obligatory. Not through the sword. Right, right. That, and, and everybody who doesn't do it is somehow immoral. Um, there are plenty of stories about, uh, there's a story about a, a, a widow that, that Jesus tells, how she gives her last two little coins to the temple to mm -hmm. to help to help others that she herself being poor gives her last two little coins and that those two little coins are worth more in the eyes of God than a fortune given by a rich man to the temple because the, the rich man can 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 throw that fortune around all he wants but this lady is is truly giving something of herself now is she giving of herself if the romans come and knock on her door and take one of her coins and say, well, you owe this to the poor and you know that because that's God's law. Well, she's not doing it at that point. And so you have robbed her of her opportunity to follow God's commandments. Mm -hmm. And I think that in a lot of ways, the welfare state does that to its own people. Yeah. It robs us of what should be our own moral duty. And we're thinking, okay, well, the state's taking care of them. We don't have to do it. And that's just, you know, an, it, it, it's both being, the opportunity is being taken from you and you're given the false delusion that you still don't have to do it. And both yeah. of those are incorrect. Well, it's, it's, you know, to kind of wrap it up since we're almost at, we're about an hour 45 in. Oh my God, it's one um, o'clock in the morning. <laughs> when it comes to modern day American Christianity, there's been a huge disconnect from the early church. And I'm not saying the Catholic church, because I think once the Catholic church really became the Catholic church, it was a marriage to the state. You mean the Jesus movement? Yeah. I mean the, the, the little sect of Jews yes. that, that grew out and Paul put into the rest of the world. The early church did not believe that uh, they should be politicians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They didn't believe that they should join the military. They didn't believe they should take up Caesar's sword. Mm -hmm. And American Christianity, sadly, 
is seemingly all about taking up Caesar's sword. Yeah. And that's deeply depressing to me. (laughs) I see so often people wrap up their patriotism, their religion, and their, uh, like, familial ties together. So, like, Mm -hmm. my father fought for his country, his father fought for his country, and his father fought for his country. And so it's all wrapped up in not just um, your sense of duty to the state, which I think is easy to poke at and make fun of, but it's your connection to your family your connection to culture and then they've wrapped religion into that too because that's your Mm -hmm. culture and your family and all that stuff too so it's really insidious in the way that it sort of wraps itself in the bible and wraps itself in the flag and that's intentional yeah and i think like one of my statements for years has been that using the swear gd or jesus christ is not using the Lord's name in vain in the same way that the Westboro Baptist Church does. Ah, yes. I see this. Yes, (laughs) I see exactly what you mean. Yeah, that is what it's about. I would prefer not to say it because I do think it's disrespectful. But when we talk about using the Lord's name in vain, it's about saying that those Muslim di- Muslims died because we had God on our side. Right. It's, it's about saying that God hates fags. It's about praising deaths of military members because God is judging America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would much rather live in a world <laughs> with people cussing and saying the most horrible things that I've ever heard than to ever hear someone attribute to God hatred. Yeah. And attribute to God wrath and their own wrath. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just taking God's name and using it as a weapon. And I can't abide that. And that's why I am an, an, a human anarchist and a patient monarchist. Yes. <laughs> so before we go, first, I love talking to you every time we talk for too long. We've been talking for, I mean, we've been recording for almost two hours, but we've been talking about three hours now. It's because the conversation is very enjoyable. <laughs> um, but before we go, first, if you want to find Miss Jessica Green on Twitter. She is a lot of fun to follow, and her paintings are immaculate. <laughs> so follow her on Twitter at libdkitwitch, Libertarian Kitchen Witch. Just type Libertarian Kitchen Witch. You'll find her. If you type in Libertarian Kitchen Witch, I pop up. And should I tell them your Instagram handle so they can see your beautiful paintings, or do you not want that? <laughs> so my Instagram handle is in my Twitter bio. Which says, okay. I do watercolors. They're not good. Follow me on Instagram. I've only been painting for three weeks, so don't let him <laughs> fool you. But I did. They're beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I did a new one today. I saw a really descriptive literary um, tweet about an apocalypse fight over the last can of beans. <laughs> and the imagery struck me, so I painted it. And it it's my first. It's my art. It's the first art I made that wasn't done with an instructor telling me how to do gotcha. it. 
I made that all on my own. So I'm very proud of it. Um, it is bizarre, though. <laughs> and I believe. So the, thank you, Tetsui. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my husband described it as off putting, which made me feel oddly proud. <laughs> Give you a little insight into my psychology. <laughs> so definitely find her Twitter. Click on that Instagram, see beautiful pictures of lemons that look like oranges for some reason. And <laughs> um, they're lemons oranges. aren't orange. <laughs> and you know how to find me. If you're listening to this, you know how to find me. This is MLGA anywhere. This is MLGA.com. This is MLGA on Twitter. This is MLGA on Facebook. I'm, I'm fairly reactive, um, but if you make me laugh, I'm 100% reactive. So, you know. Oh, and, and if you want to retweet an episode that I put out, could you do that? Because, like, people, come on. Also, this next Tuesday is election day. And so, uh, starting at about seven o'clock, which is when the polls close on the East Coast, I plan on doing a live stream with some cool people. I will Excellent. tell you who those people are later. But please join us for that. Um, surprising amount of viewers compared to the fact that I've only had two live streams. Like, I was surprised by how many people actually watched. I may be still standing in a voting line at that point, too, with all this Lame. voter suppression, so. <laughs> Before we go, I want I want your prediction. Yes. Who wins the presidency? How does it go? I think it's going to be Trump and not by a small amount. Do you think it's going to be 79 days of hell? As far as the reaction from the left? As far as the reaction from the left and um, pushback. Yeah, I, I think they've they've already pulled out every nuke they have at this point. They really have nothing else to so there could be, you know, more protests. We've seen protests. There could be some riots. We've seen riots. But I don't think that they have anything left in their arsenal to cause much of a surprise anymore so we know that they're going to have a temper tantrum i'm sort of ready for that you know i would advise anybody who lives in a city to maybe find other accommodations yeah that's what i did in march yeah i mean i'm really <laughs> glad i got the notion four or five years ago that i needed to get the hell because I, I used to live in a major downtown area of a major u.s city and now i'm looking back going whoo i'm glad i got out of there thank god yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, my 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 prediction, I can't say for sure. I feel like they're saying way too much about how clear Biden's going to win for it to actually be true. Right. And so, you know, I'm definitely veering towards Trump. But I think that no matter what, Tuesday night, someone's there's a very good chance someone's going to claim victory. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it'll happen. There's a chance. And uh, I think it was North Carolina. They actually gave them nine days to count their votes. That's nine insane. days. If you're going to do mail-in voting, it should it should have stopped what two weeks ago, so that everything could come in and be there on election night. I think the Project Veritas video also sh throws into sharp relief that there is a lot of really shady business going on behind closed doors, and you know, no matter what side you're on, you kind of get the notion that the election process is rigged and is not what oh, yeah. we think it is. So Yeah, and I mean, I've been saying that is I if you don't think that either one of those men would rig it if they could, you're stupid. Yeah. They would. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you for the conversation. I always appreciate this and that's why 
the the last time you were on the show was literally there's just been one episode in between that so it's <laughs> just it's gonna happen more <laughs> yeah i want to have you on when i have some other people on though okay i want to make it a, a threesome so we're gonna do that soon i like to say things that are inappropriate just to gauge reaction when when monica perez was on my first live stream when she left i was like no one else but me in the conversation caught it but i was like so uh we're gonna have another one are you going to come are you going to come and i was like oh the way i asked that but no (laughs) one else noticed but i made like a face like oh shit (laughs) oh no but yes Thank you for joining me again. I, I think we talk almost every day over Messenger, though. Yes. So I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you later. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right. Everyone who's listening, thank you for listening. And like I said, retweet the episode, you, you dinks. Get it out <laughs> there. I, 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 I get some feedback, but not nearly enough. So as always, especially with what's coming up this coming Tuesday, try to stay sane. Look, a puppy.